16. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to put younger widows on the list. For when they feel sensual pleasure and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has, de has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must be not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Well, I thought I would preface what I say today by reading what Peter said concerning some of Paul's letters. He, he said uh, in, in his letters, he is speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to understand. We'll find out that that is the case here this morning. Some of these things are hard to understand, and we don't want to do what uh, Peter cautions against here, which is distort these things. So may the Lord help us uh, as we look into this portion of Scripture. The last time that I spoke through this, uh, as we're going through this section of 1 Timothy, or, uh, it's been a couple weeks, and I won't try to review the whole thing that we've, uh, a whole area that we've looked at so far, but I just want to remind you that uh Paul was having Timothy to stay there in Ephesus uh, to set things in order, to get the church established on good footing. And uh, he was admonishing Timothy here in the section we looked at a couple weeks ago just to uh, not be concerned that he was younger than quite a few of the people there. Uh, he needed to be concerned that he would fulfill the, the uh, 
ministry that God had given him with the gifts that God had given him. Maybe just uh, one verse here in chapter 4, verse 12. He said, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example to those who believe. So Paul, or Paul was you know, recognizing that Timothy was uh, a relatively young man called to minister and wield authority over some people that were maybe 20 or 30 years his senior. And so he's telling him to conduct himself in a way that uh, he would earn the respect of those Christians there at Ephesus. Some of the people that Timothy would be dealing with would be older, some would be younger. So Paul gives some advice on how to minister to different individuals by age and by gender. And you see that in the first couple verses. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, to older women as mothers, to younger women as sisters, in all purity. I think what he's saying here that none should be treated harshly, but rather should be treated as if they were part of your family. In fact, they are part of your family, your spiritual family. Uh, and even when rebuke might be necessary, proper respect must be shown to the senior members of the congregation. Uh, this would be just in keeping with the basic Old Testament teaching. Uh, one example would be Leviticus 19.32, where he says, You shall rise up before the gray-haired and honor the aged. So that's just a basic principle there, honor the aged. And Paul is saying uh, that needs to be recognized even uh, in dealing with uh, older men and, and uh, older women. They should be appealed to as if they were your own father and mother. There may be times when correction is needed, but there must be tact and moderation, humility, gentleness, and care. There should be tender affection and respect. It should be done in a spirit of gentleness even uh, if some admonition or exhortation or rebuke needs to be come forth from Timothy, and there were situations, obviously, that that was going to be the case there in Ephesus. What about younger men, younger women? They should be dealt with in a spirit of equity. Young men treated like brothers, young women like sisters. And Paul adds concerning the young women he says, with all purity. I think that's an important addition there. It's a caution that many ministers have not taken sufficiently to heart. Uh, they've not guarded themselves in that area, and it's been a real snare and a blot on the church. Uh, pastors, elders, ministers, those in authority must guard themselves not only from evil, but from every appearance of evil. No improper or impure word, thought, or deed toward the female members of the Christian congregation. So just a, a caution there, really, for all of us, but especially for those in positions of authority. So last week we had a message from Mason concerning unity in the church. And uh, I believe even if these verses right here, these two verses that Paul uh, speaks here, to, wrote to Timothy, if they were followed consistently by each one of us and we showed proper respect for one another, it'd go a long way toward maintaining loving unity in the church, just that simple thing of proper respect for one another. Well, the next section then, uh, verses 4 through 16, or 3 through 16, deals with widows. And it's a, this is a long section, if you think about it, cons considering some of the things that Paul's written about that are important in this letter with just the, um, two or three verses. Here he has a, quite a large section dealing with widows. It might seem surprising that Paul would spend so much time on this subject. But actually, the Bible has a great deal to say about widows. In the Old Testament times, they were protected by special legislation along with the fatherless and the stranger. 
They were permitted to glean in the fields. The tithe of the third year was divided with them. And God over and over says that they are under his special care and protection. In fact, he says that he will bless those who help the widow and punish those who harm or hurt the widow. Um, Let's just look at a few verses on this. Let's turn back to Exodus 22, verse 22. Exodus 22 and verse 22. We'll read 22 through 24. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. If you afflict him at all, and if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry, and my anger will be kindled, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. So he says, if you don't treat the fatherless, if you don't treat the fatherless, the widow, the orphan properly, um, there's going to be punishment come your way. There's going to be judgment for that. It's something that he's very concerned about. Uh, Psalm 68, verse 5. Speaking of God, it says, A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. He makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. So a judge for the widows. And then if you skip to Psalm 146.9. Psalm 146.9. Verse 9. The Lord protects the stranger. He supports the fatherless and the widow. But he thwarts the way of the wicked. So protection, his desire to, to watch over the fatherless, the widow. And maybe just uh, one more verse back in Deuteronomy showing that God does bless those that bless the widow. Uh, Deuteronomy 14. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the year in that year, and shall deposit it in your town. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, and the orphan, and the widow who are in your town, shall come and eat and be satisfied. And, and then get this: in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all your work all the work of your hand, which you do. So there, there is a blessing. God was looking for us to watch over the orphan and the widow, um, and God will bless those that do that. So that's the Old Testament. That's just a few of the verses. But when we come to the New Testament, we see that the early church took over that attitude, uh, that teaching, and sought to take care of the widows in their midst. You might remember that the uh, first deacons, or what later became deacons in the church, uh, were actually appointed for that very purpose. I won't have you turn to it, but let me just uh, read here real quick out of um, Acts chapter 6. It says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews because of because uh, against the native Hebrews, because their widows were not were being overlooked, their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So they they appointed people to look after that. It was a uh, major thing there in the early church. Um, you might think, well, why why are we talking about widows here so much? But uh, It's just the reality of life in a fallen world. And uh, going into the nursing home, as I do, uh, I'd say nine-tenths of the 
people that are there are widows. Um, it's just a fact of life, and it's something that the church will have to deal with um, back then, and, and it's a reality for us today. James tells us that true religion involves care for the widows. He says, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and our God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So it's part of what real religion is all about, what Christianity is all about. Well, uh, instead of going verse by verse in this section, what I'd like to do is give some general teaching from this portion of Scripture. I think that there are three, perhaps four different groups of widows dealt with here. First, you have the widows which have family to take care of them. Then you have young widows who Paul has special instruction for. Lastly, you have widows that the church should be helping. And this last group could possibly be divided into two subgroups, widows who the church should help and then widows who have made a special pledge to serve the church. And I will talk more about that later. Um, so we'll start with that first group, widows who have relatives that should provide for them. We live in a time in America when old people are often looked down upon and when families expect the, church, uh, the uh, state to do what families should do, which is look after, provide for their aged parents. Now, we can be thankful for some of the so-called safety nets provided by the government for people in their old age. But no kind of government program can compensate for the lack of care and concern that an old person should receive from their own children or grandchildren. Government's just never going to be able to fill that void. The Bible clearly shows that an essential part of our Christian duty is support of our parents when they can't support themselves. This would include more than financial support when needed. It would also involve emotional and spiritual support since widowhood is often a very lonely time of life. And Paul, in this section, points out a number of reasons why this support should be given. Just, he doesn't just say do it. He gives some reasons for this. One reason, as the saying goes, is that charity begins at home. The practice of piety, which he talks about here, the practice of piety must first be learned at home and demonstrated in the family. Part of this is remembering to honor our father and mother in their old age. Paul then points out that we should do for our parents what they did for us. You see where he says this at the end of verse 4. Make some return to their parents. He's talking about the family, the uh, children and grandchildren. Let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and make some return to their parents. They took care of us when we could not take care of ourselves. You may not remember that time. Uh, in fact, most of us don't even think about what our parents did for us uh, when we were infants until we have children ourselves and we realize how much our parents did for us before we even knew what was going on. Uh, children, I just say this to you. You, you. I know you're not thinking about this much now, and it's probably fine that you don't. But uh, your parents are watching out for you now, which is what they should do. But there may come a day when you'll need to watch out for them. 
not something to worry about. It's just the reality of life. There's often a reversal of roles in uh, families as they parents become older. Uh, one person said, only with love can love be repaid. Uh, we're not talking about just giving a little money to your parents. Only with love can love be repaid. So there's, a, there's just a reality of trying to show some return for the love that we received towards our parents. The next thing that Paul stresses is that this is something that is pleasing to God. This is good and acceptable in the, in the sight of God. In fact, he says, if we don't do this, it's a denial of the faith. Now think about that. How important is this? Well, if we don't do it, it's a denial of the faith. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. How can we say that we love our neighbor if we don't take care of our needy parents when we have the ability to help them? I mean, that's just the two great commandments, love God, love your neighbor. Who would qualify more of, of a close neighbor than your own family, your own parents? Paul says that this is worse than an unbeliever. One Christian writer put it this way. He said, A religious profession which falls below the standard of duty recognized by the world is a wretched fraud. I mean, this is even the world recognizes this to some extent. Non-Christians have not seen the glorious example of love given to us in Christ, and yet often the unbeliever shows great respect and care for the aged parents. Why is that? Well, I believe it's because of God's common grace and the law that's written on the heart. There's a natural affection there. there. The Bible talks about a natural affection. It can be stifled. It often is stifled. But it's, it's there. God put it there for a purpose. And even the world recognizes something of the importance, often does anyway, the importance of the welfare of the parents. But how much more should we as believers in Christ excel in this area? Christ himself taught this welfare for parents in many settings, but probably the greatest example was there on the cross. There in the midst of excruciating pain, and uh, all the things that would be going through his mind at that time, he commended his mother to the care of his beloved disciple, John. He said to, he said to John, Behold your mother. And the scriptures tell us from that hour the, the disciple took her into his own household. Now just think about this. This is incredible to me that there on the cross, right, right in the midst of all of what was going on there, he showed that, that desire that his mother would be taken care of. Well, the last reason that Paul brings out as to, as to why it's important for the Christian family to take care of its own is a very practical one, and it's found in verse 16. If anyone, any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, let her assist them, and not the church be burdened, and let not the church be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. In other words, the, the people, the, the widows that have family that should be taking care of them, should be taking care of them, so that the church can take care of the ones that don't have uh, someone to take care of them. The church must not be weighed down with a load that should be borne by fa the family so that it can take care of the widows who have no one else to take care of them, those that are truly destitute. In this area, as in others, we must be careful that the church's charity 
is not an excuse for others to evade their responsibility. The church's charity should not be an excuse for others to evade their responsibility. If the church is not careful in this, it may not be able to fulfill the responsibilities that it has to help those who are truly in need. Matthew Henry says, Charity misplaced is a great hindrance to true charity. That's worth thinking about, isn't it? Charity misplaced is a great hindrance to true charity. Well, so much for this category of widows who have family to take care of them. That was that first group. And Paul really emphasizes this. And he wanted Timothy to emphasize that at the church at Ephesus. But what about young widows? Well, Paul's answer is simple there. It's in verse 14. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, to bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Well, that answer is simple, but that probably wasn't always that simple. Uh, just go get married, you know. I mean, some of you young people probably, young ladies I'm talking about here, probably thinking, Paul. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> um, well, as we shall see, uh, I think we'll see here that Paul's instructions were written in a certain cultural context, which is quite different from our own. So we have to factor that in as we try to understand this letter. And actually, the section itself gets a little difficult. You know, it's, it's, part, it's one of those things that Peter was talking about. Is some of this section is hard to be understood. Uh, so it gets, it gets a little difficult. Uh, to know exactly what Paul means. That's because there seems to be a list that is uh, that was understood to include widows over 60 who had made some type of a pledge. And we don't really understand what this li list is exactly, and we don't understand exactly what this pledge is. Uh, Maybe some commentators, and I'm going to kind of reference the commentators here and go back and forth because there's different views on this, but some feel like this pledge was perhaps a pledge to serve the church, uh, be devoted to the service of the church, and consequently it involved not getting married or remarried as a widow. Um, I think Paul was trying to deal with a system that had already been set up. You get the feeling... Like this list was the list was already something that was in operation. He wasn't uh, he wasn't telling Timothy to set it up, but he was telling Timothy to try to uh, make some changes in it so that it wouldn't be abused. Uh, so there was a system that had already been set up for widows at Ephesus, Ephesus, but it was being abused. Uh, people were being put on this list that should not be there. So Paul intervened in some ways to prevent the abuse of a system, of that system that had been set up. He says young widows were not supposed to be on this list. This list must have been kind of a recognized uh, list of women devoted to ministering to the church, older women uh, that were devoted to ministering to the church. We'll talk more about that. Uh, in a bit too because they, he didn't want younger women on that because they would most likely still desire to be married and therefore would set aside the pledge they had made to, they had made to serve the church uh, now even this word pledge you, if you look if you have a New American Standard like mine you see that that word can also be uh, also mean faith. They set aside their previous faith, uh, which some some commentators say they just were so desperate to get married, they married an unbeliever. And it does seem pretty strong what Paul says here related to some of these young widows. So that could possibly be uh, an alternative there, uh, a pledge or setting aside their uh, previous faith. 
Also, if they were being supported, these young widows, Paul sees a possibility of idleness as being very dangerous. The charity of the church should never be allowed to make people lazy or dependent. And it seemed like maybe something like that may have been happening there at Ephesus too. Uh, not just lazy, but actually going about doing things they shouldn't because they, they just weren't using their time wisely. Uh, the services that the widows on this list probably performed included such things as going from house to house to render assistance to women and children. But if the women doing this were not mature and experienced, they could cause more harm than good. So Paul says uh, this is for the older widows. This is not for the young widow. Uh, they could actually do more harm than good. Such house or home visitation could digress into gossip, which would be one example of that, would be repeating in one house what you heard in another house. Paul also mentions being a busybody. A busybody is one who inappropriately and unnecessarily interferes and meddles in the affairs of other people. That was not what these widows should be doing. There was a valid place for ministry uh, to families and, and younger people, younger uh, married people, but not interfering and meddling in their affairs. So uh, the, the, this type of thing it wasn't hypothetical. This was actually happening. Verse 15, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Some of these young widows had really gone off track, and he, he puts it so strong they turned aside to follow Satan. So this was not um, just something that Paul was worried might happen. It was already happening there at Ephesus, and Paul was trying to correct it and keep any more of this type of thing from going on. So, um, he was concerned that these young widows could possibly be a financial drain on the church, uh, especially if, you know, their families should be taking care of them, their children, their grandchildren. Um, he was concerned that they might be a financial drain on the church, but he was also concerned that some of these widows were acting in such a way that their life was a blot on the testimony of the church and would hinder the advancement of the gospel. This was always Paul's concern. What will best facilitate the advancement of the gospel? And anything that get, would get in the way of that, he was, he was against. And he saw that this type of testimony, uh, or bad testimony, could really be a hindrance to the gospel. Uh, women going from house to house as busybodies, meddling in things that they shouldn't be interfering with, and gossip, that type of thing. Paul's position may seem a little extreme to us, but I think he was aware of particular problems there at Ephesus and was wanting Timothy to address those problems through these measures. We see in all, in all of this Paul's desire to ensure that widows on this roster, this list that he had, really needed to be there, and his caution that people should not be allowed to abuse the charity of the church. And all of this was ultimately so that the gospel of Christ would advance and not suffer any reproach, any valid reproach. There's always going to be reproach to the gospel, but he's talking about where the world actually has a valid reason to reproach the Christian, would not suffer any valid reproach in the world. When the professing church takes foolish or unrighteous positions, you can be sure that the world will point it out. I mean, they may be doing the same thing themselves, but they'll sure point it out if the Christian does it. Just as a side note, let me say that trying to make some of Paul's instructions given in a different culture and take them and apply them directly to our culture may actually be foolish and bring harm to the cause of Christ. Some of Paul's specific commands were right in the first century, in first century Ephesus, but may not necessarily be right to apply literally word for word in the church today. That may seem like kind of a radical thing, but it's just the reality. 
Some of these things were written in specific situations in a specific culture, and we're not in that situation and we're not in that culture. We have to recognize that and factor that in as we try to apply what Paul wrote. And as I mentioned, these instructions were spoke, spoken into a social setting which is different from our own. For example, it was next to impossible for a single or widowed woman to earn her living honestly outside the home. Paul says they, they need to get married because it's just there just was not a situation where you, the lady could go out and get a job. There was practically no trade or profession open to, to her. The Christian woman therefore either had to stay with her family, get married, or be dependent upon the church or friends to help her. There were few other good options. Well, that brings us to the last category of widows, widows who the church should help. We've had widows that their families should be taken care of. We've had younger widows. Now we're talking about widows that the church should help. What the, the Bible, what uh, how it's phrased here in the New American Standard, Standard is widows indeed. Widows indeed. True, true widows. Widows that are really needy. Uh, you see it in verse 3. Honor widows who are widows indeed. And then in verse 5. Now she who is a widow indeed you know, has been left alone. And you see it in verse 16. Uh, Let not the church be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. So three times Paul emphasizes. I'm talking here about these widows that really need the church's help, really need the church's assistance. Uh, truly destitute, truly worthy of help. And that last part, truly worthy of help, Paul sets a pretty high standard. You see the standard in verses 9 and 10. That a widow be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. I don't think that means that a person that had remarried couldn't fit because Paul tells the, the young widows to remarry. But I think the idea there is just that a faithful wife. I think that's probably the best way to understand what he's saying there. She's been a faithful wife, having a reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet. Now, that was literal back then, but it's also just that attitude of, of service uh, as far as washing the saints' feet. Um, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. So that's quite a list there. This almost seems like a list of qualifications for an office in the church, and it may have been. This, the, these widows may have been recognized, these older widows may have been recognized as ones who have been set aside to serve the church in a special way. Uh, some commentators believe that this list was actually a list of women who were set aside to serve the church in their old age. Some even referred to the group of women, this group of women, back to um, chapter 3, verse 11, because he's going through elders and deacons, and right in the middle of this elders and deacons uh, qualifications, he puts this, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. And he goes back and says some things about the deacons. Strange that that's in there could be, like some commentators say, that, that this is what he's talking about, this, these people, these women, the older women that were on this list. Um, so I get, what I'm saying here is it's possible that this list was not a list of women that the church would support necessarily, but an official list of women that had been set apart for ministry. And then the qualifications were given here. And they would be qualifications that would be important for, uh, for a woman to fulfill if she's going to try to minister to younger, younger families, younger women. Uh, just She's taking care of children. She's raised children herself so she can help the, old, the younger women in that area. 
she's loved her husband. She can, make, she can help the younger women to learn how to love their husband. That type of thing, that's why the list, I think, is important and something that was a quali the qualifications for this, if it was a special office, and this, uh, again, we're talking about things that we don't, can't nail down for sure, but it's very possible. We do know from church history, church history after this time, after the first century, that there was, at least in many churches, an official register of elderly widows, widows who performed special duties for the Christian communities. Uh, the writings of Ignatius and Polycarp and Tertullian, these were all early Christian leaders, refer to this group of women, this group of widows that did this type of service for the church. Uh, their duties included giving counsel to younger women, praying and fasting, visiting the sick, probably especially the sick women, preparing women for baptism, taking them to communion or taking communion to them, and giving guidance and direction to other widows who were being supported by the church. So that was some of what they did. It's also important to note that in the early church, there were a lot of orphans that were being taken care of. Why was that? Well, again, the social setting is worth mentioning. This was an age when, married, when the marriage bond was very lax in society and men and women changed their partners quite often. Children were often regarded as a misfortune. In fact, when a child was born, it was brought and laid before the father's feet. If the father stooped and lifted the child up, that meant that he acknowledged it and was prepared to accept the responsibility for its upbringing. If the father turned and walked away, the child was quite literally thrown out, just set out on the doorstep. Or there are certain places they had for these children to just be put. Uh, they were put out just like something that was unwanted from your house. And it often happened that such unwanted children were collected by unscrupulous people. The girls were used in situations that are very improper, and the boys were trained often as slaves or gladiators. In such a setting, Christians often re rescued these abandoned children, and Christians would go and get these unwanted children. The widows, supported by the church, would most likely help in raising these abandoned children. Uh, just a little aside here. We think, how could a society do something like that? We live in one that does something like that. We just uh, do it a little earlier in the child's life. So how are we to apply this section in our day and age? Well, there's one way right there. See if we can rescue some of these children. But let me just expand on this a little bit. How can we apply this section in our day and age? I doubt if we're supposed to take the 60-year age limit or even the pledge that was made by these widows as any kind of absolute for us today. This letter, again, was written to a specific group of people to address specific situation of that time and culture. Some of the teaching can be directly applied today. Other things need to be adapted to our present situation. This means that we need to be careful about how we apply these things it certainly means that we must approach some of these areas with great humility and acknowledging, acknowledge that we don't exactly know what some of these things mean, like this pledge, for instance. Nevertheless, I believe that we can glean some very important things from this passage. And let me give just a few general truths that I think should, we should come away for, with from this section. 
okay, so now we're going to try to take this and apply it to ourselves here today. From verses 1 and 2, we learn that we should always treat other Christians with proper respect, as if they were part of our own family. They are part of God's spiritual family, which he has united together in his love. And we should be aware of that when we're dealing with uh, other Christians. Our mothers, our brothers, our sisters, our fathers are those who have heard the word of God and do it. That's what Jesus said. Who's your mother? Who's my mother and brother and sister? Those who hear the word of God and do it. So, just the, showing the proper respect. Even if we're in a position of authority over our, others, like Timothy was, this, this is addressed to Timothy here. He's supposed to implement these things. We don't just issue commands. Instead, we appeal. You see how he's, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. And then I think that appealing goes not just for the older men, but to younger men, to older women, to younger women. Appeal to them. Trying to persuade people and explain ourselves logically and scripturally. Never taking advantage of people who are weak, in a weaker position than we are. One person said, leaders must love those they lead and lead with love. So there's that. Uh, of course, that's throughout the scriptures, but I think that's in this section right here for the first couple verses. As individual Christians, we must be concerned about honoring our father and mother, whatever their age, but especially from this section, especially in their old age. This honoring will be expressed in different ways because of different situations. We've had a number of those type of things already uh, come up with uh, within the church uh, just but just because one person handled that situation in a certain way doesn't mean that's the way you you need to handle it you need to look to god for what that means to honor your father and mother in their older age as a church that was basically to the individual christian but as a church we should be concerned for the physical well-being of each member including the elderly but more than just the physical well-being. Uh, the widows and the elderly in the church should be nourished and cherished beyond just those physical needs. Even in our day, when the government gives some assistance to the elderly, we must recognize that no social program can make up for forgetfulness by family or the church community. You just can't say, well, the government's handling that. Because really... The, the, the deeper things are, are not the financial things. They're, the, they're that sense of worth and belonging. And we need to convey that uh, as a church. The church should be seen by the world to set an example of Christ-like compassion and integrity in this area, in every area, but we're talking specifically here in this area of the elderly. Now here, here's something to consider. False religion does just the opposite. False religion does just the opposite. It exploits the widows. As Jesus put it, false religion devours widows' houses. It's happening all the time. False religion will take the last little mite, the last little bit from the poor widow in the name of God. Send in that money and God will bless you and you'll get rid of that affliction. These, these religious hucksters that do that type of thing, Jesus called them a den of robbers. And this is no small thing. I mean, and the the world can even see it. It's a terrible blot on Christianity. 
one of the greatest handicaps the church has is the unsatisfactory and hypocritical lives of professing Christians. But, here's the positive side, but it is equally true that one of the greatest arguments for Christianity is the truly godly Christian life. We should give the enemies of Christianity no valid grounds for accusation, but should model the compassion of Christ to those in need. But the church should also be careful to use its resources wisely, making sure that its time and resources go to the truly needy. That's one of the things that comes out clearly in here, what Paul was trying to do. Our charity should never be the means of others, others shirking their God-given responsibilities. Well, I think that those at least are some of the general things that we can glean from this section. So it remains for us now as a body of God's people, guided by the Holy Spirit, to rightly apply these teachings in our present situation. And it takes the Holy Spirit. You know, even back there in the book of Acts, I was just thinking of this. Uh, it takes the Holy Spirit to do these things rightly, to know what to do and then to do it uh, in a godly way. And that's, that's why when they had this situation with the widows, um, there in the early church. And the twelve summoned the congregation of disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, but select from among you, brethren, from among your brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who may be put in charge of this task. It takes the Holy Spirit and wisdom to apply these things that we've looked at today in a way that really honors God and we don't get off track and uh, distort Paul's teaching like Peter said. So may God help us in this area to just really look to God to know how to deal with one another as brothers and sisters uh, in the family of God and also to honor the widows who are widows indeed.